I invite you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah is found in the Old Testament uh, after Psalms and Proverbs, but before you hit Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 11. And last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 7 and saw this reality of the gift of God's presence, P-R-E. S-E-N-C-E, God's presence with us, being near to us. We saw that King Ahaz, in the midst of facing various difficulties, looked everywhere else except to the Lord for comfort, for hope, for trust, in the midst of his need for God's presence. So we saw that last week and saw that indeed that's fulfilled in Christ as he comes at Christmas time, and we know he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. We saw the gift of presence last week. Today we want to look at the gift of righteousness in Isaiah chapter 11. We won't require quite as much background to to get to the issues at hand, but we will see this, and I'm excited for us to see this this morning as we think about the promised righteous one, the Lord Jesus, and how he brings to us a, a willingness to serve as a righteous substitute for us, to stand in our place as he shows us as well a model of righteousness, how we, having been transformed by that gift of righteousness, can begin to walk and live a life of righteousness. And lastly, we'll see how he leads us. He's a righteous leader who leads us into a righteous kingdom as well. Stand with me then as I read aloud Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, and you read along with me uh, silently. Isaiah 11. Verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion, the fattened calf, together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You may be seated. And let's pray again. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would see the, help us today to see 
the glory of the promised righteous one sent for us and that we might find our righteousness in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Hobbes came along to Calvin who had set up a makeshift wooden crate with a sign next to it as a sort of kiosk. The sign read, A swift kick in the rear. One dollar. Hobbes came along to Calvin and said, How's business going? Calvin replied, Terrible. It's terrible. But I don't understand. Everybody needs what I'm selling. Well, I don't know about what Calvin was trying to sell. And Jesus beautifully isn't selling what he has to offer. He's giving it as a gift. But everybody, every one of us here, every one on the place, on the face of the earth, desperately needs Jesus, the promised righteous one. He's righteous as we're going to see in the sense that he's a righteous substitute for us. We need him to take our place, to stand in our place before a holy God. He's a righteous one in that he lived out righteousness and we can follow that. We can see that model of righteousness lived out. And he's a righteous one in that he leads us. He takes us into a righteous kingdom as well. But just like Calvin's struggling customer base, so too we find it difficult to remember how much we need that righteous one. If you want to turn in your worship guide to the notes section, you'll find there, uh, I think, the main idea that would come forth from these Isaiah verses, particularly this Christmas season, as we look at them through the lens of Christmas season in particular, that Jesus is the promised righteous one. And so we must find our righteousness in him. We must find our righteousness in him. He's the promised righteous one. He's promised. Look with me at this Isaiah chapter 11. It says in verse 1, there shall come forth. That's a promise. Saying there's one who's going to come. There shall come forth. What what sort of thing shall come forth? A shoot, little tiny bud, little teeny sprout or growth. A shoot from where? From the stump? From the stump of Jesse. What is this talking about? A shoot, a little tiny thing we're supposed to get excited about coming forth from a stump. The picture here, folks. The stump is the house of David, that Davidic kingdom, which I mentioned last week, was the earthly fulfillment up to this point of Isaiah, of the kingdom of God, of his presence with his people in his place under his plan of rule and blessing. This Davidic kingdom was pictured like a tree in the Old Testament, but already by the time of Isaiah 
had fallen greatly from that pinnacle. And so, even in the time of Isaiah, this is remained, what remained of the Davidic kingdom was but a stump. And certainly as the Babylonian kingdom came through, and the Persian kingdom came through, and the Greek kingdom came through, and then at the time of Jesus as they sit under Roman rule, the Davidic kingdom looks like a distant memory. It doesn't look like much more than an old stump in the back corner of the yard. A promised one, though, it tells us a shoot is going to come from this unlikely stump. Let me tell you how even more humble this is. It's not just a little shoot. It's not going to look like much from a stump, something that looks old and decrepit and worn out that it's seen its time, but from the stump of Jesse. You ever read these verses before? You ever think about why it says that? Who was Jesse? Jesse was David's father. Why not say it's from David? Why not say it's from his son Solomon? Isaiah is making a point here. Jesse was never anointed king. He never had any outward signs of royalty. He was just David's father. And then God chose to choose David and have him anointed to this glorious position of king. He's reminding us in in yet one one other way, this shoot, this little tiny bud from this stump, We're not even going to talk about David and the glories of his kingdom. We're just going to talk about Jesse. Because all that it's going to look like when it comes into the time of Jesus is that Jesus happened to come from this family that was once great but had no more earthly glory at that time. So he's a promised one, a humble promised one. But listen to what the last part of verse 1 tells us the branch from its root shall bear fruit fruit indeed today people of God fruit of millions that have come and grown and attached into this sprout that came out of this stump that came from the house of Jesse we won't even mention the kingdom of David millions who have come to embrace Christ and the righteousness that can be found in him throughout the centuries since then. And billions today as we sit here who are claiming the name of Christ for their righteousness, finding their righteousness in him. Fruit indeed, fruit indeed will come forth from this unlikely source. So he's a promised one from an unlikely place, but that will bear fruit. He's a promised one. He's also a righteous one. Look with me in Isaiah 11. You probably already saw it as I was reading through. Verse 3 says about this promised one, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That's a righteous one there, isn't it? That he delights to reverence God. We might say we enjoy our relationship with God or we're glad for God's grace. Boy, that's a a tough leap to take to say we delight to live in reverence of 
God. He's a righteous one. Verse 4 says a similar thing. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. He's literally wearing righteousness. That's how righteous this one is. Righteousness is a pretty rare thing, isn't it? It's a pretty rare thing. And it's an intimidating thing on one level. Because if you take any one of our lives and dare for just a moment to put it up against in, in honesty and truthfulness about who we really are, what we really seek, what we really love in this life, and put it up against Christ and his perfect righteousness, we fall greatly short, don't we? We, we scarcely even need him to define righteousness for us, but he does. He tells us righteousness is loving God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Oh, and by the way, love your neighbor just like you would yourself. Even if we just take that basic little standard and put our lives next to it, we pale in comparison, don't we? And then we find out elsewhere in Scripture as well that even one breach, even one area of our lives, because God is a holy God, even one area of falling short of His glory would leave us without the blessing of a relationship with Him in this life and into eternity. Were it not for a righteous one to come on our behalf. So we're in a tough fix, folks. We're in a tough fix in and of ourselves, as Brian Chappell put it. Brownie points count for very little in an economy where absolute holiness remains the only acceptable currency. We not only need one to be a righteous substitute for us, once we have begun to experience the grace of a righteous substitute of trusting in Jesus to take our place, we also realize that God wants us to live for His glory, wants us to live in a certain way. And we need help to see that. What does that look like? We need a righteous model. And lastly, as we'll touch on walking through these verses a bit here this morning, we really also need one other thing. That is, we need a righteous leader. One who's not just going to show us, but who's actually going to bring us in. And all the better if he's bringing us into a righteous, glorious kingdom, as we see described, particularly in verses 6 through 9 in our passage this morning. So let's talk about these things for a couple of minutes. Jesus as the righteous substitute is the first thing we can look at. And our passage speaks to it in verse 2, particularly the role of God's Spirit in this. And I just want you to follow this connecting points because I think this will help us to connect with Christmas, what's happening in our lives right now as we prepare for Christmas. Verse 2 of Isaiah 11, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then it talks about him having a spirit of wisdom, spirit of counsel, spirit of knowledge. 
Elsewhere in Isaiah, it describes the servant, this promised one, in a similar way. It says in chapter 42, Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit upon him. I could list four or five other verses in the Old Testament, but we can jump to John chapter 1 for a minute and let me make the connection to Christ and this fulfillment. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. It's John the Baptist preparing for Jesus to come along. So we're a little bit jumped past Christmas, I'll admit here. It says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. And do you remember what he said? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It goes on and it says, John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promised righteous one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he's identified as the Lamb of God, the one who would come and be sacrificed, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrificial system and all those offered up sacrifices that pointed ahead to one who would be a righteous substitute. Pound for pound for you and me as the God-man come in the flesh. Let's, let's take it just, just one step further, and you, you would probably want to turn with me to look at this in Romans. Have a Bible handy. If not, you can grab one on the end of the pew. Romans chapter 3. One other passage about this righteousness that's given to us through Christ. Romans chapter 3. It's in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Listen to this. But now a righteousness of God has been manifested, that means displayed or shown forth, has been manifested apart from the law. It's apart from our obeying any rules. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it. Isaiah 11, Exhibit A. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Follow the words believe and faith and grace through this as I'm reading. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's just a theological word for a sacrifice, one offered up to atone for us, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see? You see the connections coming together that God has offered up this righteous one, Jesus, for us. R.C. Ryle gives us some insight into the implications for this today, folks. What does this mean for you and me today as we gear up to going into Christmas? What does it mean that we have a promised righteous one? He says this, and I believe this is in your worship guide section if you want to read along. He says, true faith 
has nothing, whatever, of merit about it. And in the highest sense, it can't be called a work. It is but laying hold of a Savior's hand, leaning on a husband's arm, receiving a physician's medicine. It brings nothing, nothing to Christ but a sinful man's soul. And it gives nothing, contributes nothing, pays nothing, performs nothing. It only receives, takes, accepts, grasps, embraces the glorious gift of justification which Christ bestows and by renewed daily acts enjoys that gift. John Piper put it one other way that's helpful for us, I think. In describing this great exchange where we give to Jesus, he says, I will take upon me your sin, your brokenness, your fallenness. We give it to him and he gives back in exchange to us his righteousness, his readiness to be our righteous substitute. Piper said this, if the bank were to forgive me the debts on my account, that would not be the same thing as declaring me rich. Folks, we have not simply had our slate wiped clean today if our hope is in Jesus, if our trust is in Him and in His righteousness. We've not simply sort of been reset to neutral and now we can begin to operate from there. The Bible tells us at the moment we put our trust in Christ and each day we are walking and seeking to walk in grace throughout our life that we are rich. We have been given an abundance of righteousness because we have the righteousness of Christ. Is that where your hope and trust is today? Is that where your righteousness lies? Christmas is all about Jesus coming into the world to be a righteous substitute for us. As we come into this Christmas season, people of God, if your trust is in that, let's enjoy that. Let's delight in the fact that we've got this righteous one. Let's be encouraged by it. Let's be overflowing with that richness because of the righteous substitute. Second thing we want to mention in these verses is that we have in Jesus a righteous model. As well, I mentioned it earlier that once we see what Jesus has done, that he's poured out himself for us, we're going to see a number of things. One, that God loves us. That's, that's really what it means. And, and until we understand the righteous substitute, we really don't get God's love. Someone might tell you about that concept or might talk about it, but we really don't get it until we understand that it's, it's a substitutionary love. Jesus paid pound for pound for our sins. But once we get that love and begin to embrace it, then we're going to say, number one, I want to respond back to God in love. I want my life to be lived out in a way that pleases, that delights Him. And we're also going to say, man, I'm, I've been kind of foolish here to continue walking in paths that don't line up with God because He's a loving Father. He cares about me enough to send His Son. Therefore, I I ought to try in whatever ways and areas I can to line myself up with the righteous path that God has given. 
Well, Jesus doesn't just give us the imputed, the credited righteousness that comes to our account. He also models for us righteousness. He models for us righteousness. And there's a warning tied up in this as well that we should be very careful that we don't understand the gift of righteousness in a way that we cheapen that gift. It cost Jesus everything to give us that righteousness. So we ought to have great caution in our lives to seek to follow the righteous model of Jesus and be greatly concerned when we do not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, and I have uh, mentioned him before, but I'll remind us he was the German pastor and theologian who came from an aristocratic family in Germany but surrendered his life to Christ, was serving as a sort of pastor missionary to uh, believers, German believers in England during the time when World War II was brewing and Nazism was coming to power and everybody was trying to get out of Germany who could, who understood what was going on. And Bonhoeffer chose to go back in to his home country. He was eventually imprisoned and would be executed just three days before the German uh, camp would be overtaken by the Allies and liberated. He said this before the war because he had seen that so many German Christians were hearing this message about grace and hearing about this righteous substitute, but the way they were embracing it didn't involve any desire on their part to live in a transformed way. didn't involve any genuine heart to walk in righteousness. And so he said this, which is admittedly a bold statement, but I think it might help us to think about where we are in responding to grace. He said the only man who has the right to say that he's justified by grace alone is the man who has left all to follow Christ. Jesus is happy, delighted to give to us his life, his righteousness. The people he bids us to decisively break with that old life and turn to him. None of us are going to do it in a perfect way. Exhibit A, standing right up here before you. We all continue to fall short of God's glory. But we ought to have that as our goal, that we want to follow Jesus as a righteous model. Let me say something else, particularly as we come into this Christmas season. This is a little bit more uh, down to earth, if you will, a little less uh, cognitive. And that is, if you look in, in this Isaiah passage, back, uh, back here in Isaiah 11, y'all can turn back there with me. It tells us uh, really one specific thing. It's interesting that it's just, just one thing that it sort of highlights about this righteous one. And that's in verse 4 of Isaiah 11. It says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Just a good reminder that one of the things that ought to be part of our following Jesus as a righteous model, our seeking to live in righteousness, is that we ought to help those who are struggling, help those who are having difficulty. And so let me just encourage you again. We mentioned it. It's probably been a, a month ago since we were collecting the, uh, 
the gifts to send off with the uh, Operation Christmas Child, and we had those catalogs out there for Samaritan's Purse and the Ukraine gifts. And I, I want to thank you all for contributing in a variety of ways to that. I want to encourage us, even as we're coming in now in these weeks leading up to Christmas, though, one way to guard our hearts against all the materialism around us is to think about what's something we can do that would be caring for the poor, that would be following Jesus and loving people that way. Maybe it's getting that catalog back out for Samaritan's Purse. I know, I'll confess, we, we had it out and we haven't done anything with it yet. And sitting down, those of us especially with kiddos, and saying, you know, you, you want these five things, guess what? You're going to get four of them. And we're going to take some of that, and mom and dad are too, and we're going to be a blessing to the poor because of the kingdom of God, because Jesus has done this great work of saving us, and we want to respond in righteousness. So we've got a righteous substitute in Jesus. We've got a righteous model in him. Last thing I want us to see this morning is that we have a righteous leader. You know, we scarcely need to talk about the football scandals of the past month, the uh, political figures that have come and gone in the last month, to see and to be reminded of the fact that righteous leaders are extremely difficult to find. Extremely difficult to find. And I just want us to see again the beauty of the fact that Jesus is a righteous leader. We can trust our lives to him. He's not like anybody else that we've put our hopes in and we thought this or that pastor would be this kind of person and he wasn't. Or we thought this and that political leader would be who they were. Or we thought this and that coach would be who they were. Or our boss at work. Or someone in our family. That doesn't apply to Jesus. We can delight in Jesus this Christmas season because he's a perfect leader. And guess where he leads us to? i got to mention it because it's all over the last... Six or last three or four verses of this passage. Uh, chap, uh, chapter 11, Isaiah, verse 6. Again, listen to this place that he's leading us to. This place that we can begin, in a sense, to experience in this life and will certainly experience in eternity. He says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Verse 8, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. In verse 10, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a picture. What a beautiful picture of that kingdom of righteousness that is coming, we trust, to work even in our church, even with our failings and and uh, falling short, that the kingdom is working its way out here, that the kingdoms we trust being extended through us and other churches walking with the Lord around us and across the world. And more importantly, folks, that as we look this Advent to the first coming and remember that first coming of Jesus, we look to that second coming when he's going to come and fulfill all these things and bring this kingdom to bear. One more Christmas connection for you, and then I'll conclude. Look at verse 10 with me in case you didn't notice it while we were reading through before. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal 
for all peoples of him shall the nations inquire. Remember that passage the tingles read for us when we started our worship service? And that familiar Christmas story of those wise men coming along? They came along, the nations came to inquire. He was a signal to the whole world and to us today of where we can find our righteousness. There was a wealthy man. He and his only son enjoyed art. With all this man's wealth, he was able to collect the works of Picasso, Raphael, Rembrandt. He and his son enjoyed sitting and looking at these beautiful pieces of artwork. Eventually, a war broke out, and his son went off to fight. The son died while trying to rescue another soldier, and the father was, of course, greatly grieved. About a month or so later, there was a knock at the father's door, and a young man standing there with a package next to him, a large package. And he explained to the father that he was the man who the son had rescued. He said, we were in a battle, and he picked me up and carried me and was struck with a bullet in the heart, and he fell down and died. But I remembered that he had talked about how much he loved artwork, and you loved artwork. And I'm no artist, this soldier who had been saved said, but I wanted to give this to you. He presented this package to the father who unwrapped it and found a painting that had been done with, indeed, very rudimentary artistic skill, but nevertheless was a wonderful portrait of his son that this soldier had painted. Well, the father loved the painting so much that he rearranged his whole house. And at the centerpiece of where he displayed his artwork, he put this picture up of his son who had died saving this other man. And company would come over, elite people, and uh, people used to seeing all sorts of wonderful decor. And he would insist, this father, that they stand there and enjoy this picture of his son before they would ever get to go see the Rembrandts and Picassos. Well, this father eventually died himself. And they began to have an auction for all of the uh, estate, beginning with the paintings. And, of course, people gathered from all over to get their choice of these famous collections that this man had. The auctioneer came out and had his gavel in hand and began with the picture of the sun. Uh, people stood, sat there in silence, not interested in bidding for this apparently unvaluable piece of artwork. But the auctioneer said, I want a bid. Give me a bid. Will someone start the bidding? People began to get a little upset and from the back said, we, we want to see the Rembrandts. We want to see the famous paintings. Move this one on. Let's skip this one. Finally, from the back of the crowd, the family gardener, who was a man of simple means, said, I'll bid $10. Auctioneer said, I hear $10. Do I hear $20? I hear $10. Do I hear $20? No one bid. 
he threw down the gavel and said, Sold to the man in the back. And then he set the gavel down and stepped back from the podium. People in the crowd said, Come on, let's get to the famous artworks now. And the auctioneer said, No, folks, there was a special stipulation in the will. As I come to handle this sale today. And the stipulation was that whoever buys this painting of the sun, that would be the only thing sold. And whoever buys it not only gets all the artwork, but he gets the whole estate. The one who gets the sun gets everything. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you that as we seek to meditate on your work, on your coming into the world, on your coming particularly as this promised righteous one today, that you have come and offered to give us everything, all the righteousness that we need, credited to our account simply by us receiving it. And Father, all the righteousness that we would need to see to know how to walk and live in a way that would be pleasing to you and good for us. And all the righteousness of a leader, a perfect righteous leader who takes us into a perfectly righteous kingdom. Oh, Father, we thank you for this promised Righteous one, may our hope in him increase this Christmas season. May our joy flowing from his righteousness in our lives abound. May you be glorified in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.